Welcome to the first episode ever of the NetCentric Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Mackin, and I'm joined here today with our guest, Stefan Becker, Head of Operations and Support at NetCentric, a digital cognizant company. Stefan, maybe you can kick us off here with a quick personal intro uh, into your background. Thanks for having me, Scott. Uh, good to be here. Good to be the first. My name is Stefan. I'm living outside of Munich in the middle of almost nowhere in a tiny 2000 uh, people village, uh, but quite a good connection to Munich, which is really great. Able to basically go anywhere in the world quickly across Europe and been with NetCentric now for the past nine years, um, basically from the start. And yeah, loving loving everything we do on a day-to-day basis, uh, loving the, the company, the team, the community that we have. And this also reflects basically on my personal life. I'm an IT guy from by heart and uh, been doing this basically for the past uh, 10, 12 years. Nice. Yeah, you're definitely one of the uh, the OGs, the originals at uh, NetCentric. So you've been through been through all the uh, the historical ups and ups and downs or all ups, let's say, of uh, Netcentric's growth the last uh, decade or just under a decade. Uh, but let's go back a little bit earlier. Let's um, let's go take us back to your maybe your earliest memory of technology. What's that that first impression of tech for you? That's that's an interesting one. Earliest memory of technology is I guess I was probably like four or five years old, and my dad uh, worked for a company which was building microscopic machines for wafer manufacturing for chip manufacturing, and he was bringing home old circuit boards they had so it wasn't even you know with a screen or anything but i was playing as a kid with circuit boards and chips and basically i don't know building my own non-functional computer out of this old tech stuff well wow, that's uh that's cool so you you actually got some uh some early hands-on uh, work on the hardware side um where, where was this where, where did you grow up so i i grew up uh, north of frankfurt in a village called wetzlar uh, which is an optic city. So some of the largest optical manufacturing companies in the world are based there. Leica is based there. And that's basically how I got exposed early on in technology through my parents. Yeah. Oh, nice. Now, now um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you also spent time in the U.S., right? That's, that's right. So I was born in the U.S. Um, and we moved back. I, I don't remember any of that. And I lived in Germany until I was around 10. And then the topic came up about moving back to the U.S. So throughout my, my early years, um, until my late teens, uh, basically living in the U.S. and Germany. And that's quite some good memories because you get a flavor of both kind of cultures, both kind of, you know, countries. Um, and that's, that's really been good. Yeah, I can imagine the diverse uh, the diversity, but but also being a, you know picking up and moving um, you know to a different continent uh, at a young age, it can have a lot of uh, impact on you and expose you to a lot of new new experiences. Um, so so tell me what you know what do you do outside of work? What are some of your your hobbies and your passions? Probably the biggest ones is uh, is snowboarding, right? So I, I started snowboarding at a very early age, um, basically after it became popular. Uh, mid to end of the 90s and uh, this is something I still do 
as much as possible today. And um, also since a couple of years, I actually, it's not a lucrative hobby or turned into a job of uh, teaching also snowboarding. So on some weekends, I go out with a snowboard and ski school and basically teach kids and adults. So that's the biggest thing for me, really going out on the slopes in the mountains. Nice, but it's not it's not a career change. You're not gonna be you're not gonna turn pro. For sure uh, not at this, <laughs> this point. That's in your career. not gonna work out all right. Yeah. <laughs> we could only uh, dream. But uh, someone told me that you're also into old cars, like fixing up vintage That's cars. That's true. That's true. And and I think this is uh this is also a long running passion, right? So um, I got my first old car uh, as it was my first car. And um, my dad used to have this, which was a 1975-2002 BMW. He used to have this uh, car back in his uh, 20s. Um, and uh, when we used to live in the US, he always wanted another car. So the time came around, I was actually 15, I had to get a car, right? So we said, okay, let's start looking. And we found one on, on the West Coast in San Diego. And uh, we bought it online without really looking at it. We had a friend look on at it, eBay, uh, and we picked it up. It was a, a thousand seven hundred bucks, and that was a crazy trip because we drove it back across the U.S. to the East Coast, and I can tell you so much stuff broke on the way. <laughs> I can imagine. So, so did it, did it survive the trip across the U.S.? <laughs> it, it survived the trip. You had to be creative, um, but it's quite cool. I think, especially in such situations, you always find some people to help you out, and that's what we managed to do as well. Yeah, it sounds like an adventure, uh, yeah. especially especially at that that age, that that kind of coming of age tale, driving cross country with your dad. So, did that did that lead to any any you know continuation? Are you are you still into old cars, or was that kind of like you, you know one and done? No, get me a get me a modern BMW, please. No, no, for sure, for sure. I always wanted a modern car, but you know <laughs> it's pricey, right? So you can pick up old cars for much cheaper. So. I got uh, quite lucky. I got another one from my grandfather uh, two years ago. So it's growing um, from the car perspective. But also last year I picked up a, a East German a moped, which I started restoring, which is from 1974. So the guys listening in from, from East Germany, they know it. It's called a Schwalbe, which is like the sparrow. And um, there's even movies about it. It's a crazy thing. It's all in parts right now. It's it's just coming back from the body shop at the moment. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that's a that's a few a few different projects you have at home. Do you have, do you have space for all these these uh, pet projects? And do you have do you have like a five car garage that you work on these things? So so that's the good thing about living in in the middle of nowhere. Uh, usually you get a lot more space. Um, and thankfully we managed to do this. We moved out here. Uh, about an hour away from Munich back in 2015. And that just gave me the space to kind of go after this hobby. Nice. And also other hobbies, right? So, uh, for example, a year ago, I had the crazy idea. I want to start blacksmithing. So I got I got a forge. I got an anvil from my grandfather, which he had still from the, from the German army times. And I got myself, um, you know, all the gear needed and took some classes at a master blacksmith and started blacksmithing. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely the first, the first time someone's mentioned blacksmithing as their hobby uh, to me. Yeah. That's, uh, that's definitely quite unique. Did you also say that you are into uh, the camper van world as well? 
Yeah, so so I grew up um, basically in a camper van. So my my parents had a camper van uh, since the mid '80s. That was the car my mom was driven to the hospital with. That's the car I went back home in. That's the car I slept in on my 18th birthday, camping in the middle of nowhere, partying with friends. So camping has been all my life. And we actually bought next to the BMW, we also bought another old camper van on the West Coast and drove that back as well. Wow. So uh, so what's the, the furthest trek you've made with the camper van? So the furthest one would probably be the crossing from West Coast to East Coast. And in Europe, we did a lot of trips uh, in the past couple of years to to Italy, Croatia. And uh, yeah, let's see where the next trips are going. Yeah, it's a uh, it's nice to be able to just pick up and go, you know, and have your have your home attached to the car. For sure. For sure. Uh, so were you traveling during COVID? I did. I did. It was quite a crazy experience because last year in summertime, we didn't really have a, a full lockdown. Right. So we were able to go to Italy. Uh, we did four four weeks basically traveling across Italy, Venice and so on. And that was a bit surreal because it was empty, like completely empty. And then beginning of this year was also quite cool. We did a trip with a bunch of um, friends from the company to Croatia and we did our sailing license there because sailing is also one of the hobbies, right? So um, we finally decided after many years that we do it. And that was also quite crazy because we got there and um, of course we had all the regular, you know, restrictions we had to follow, but on the boat, it was us. We were tested. Everyone was safe. And it was like, you know, sailing as before COVID times. Is this sort of a culture at the company? I would say yes. Not everyone, right? But a lot of people across the last years have come sailing with the company and the biggest sailing trips were i think around 2013 2014 we had 20 22 boats or something like this and a lot of people joined back then and this was really one of the craziest company events i've ever been at we flew together to croatia we went sailing together we went you know sleeping in the same bed more or less together because on a sailboat you have uh, these small berths, more or less, you you have to get into, and you learn a lot about the people, which is cool, and you really grow also some friendships with those five guys. It it just fit, you know. I would pick them and go sail across the Atlantic. Nice, uh, nice. Well, you've you've built that rapport now. You've built that trust working with them, and yeah. and, uh, and and both yeah. you know everybody kind of getting uh, improving and getting better together. Um, but you mentioned the the first one was was like a, a team building event. It was the company wide. Yeah, the the first one we did was actually in the first year of Netcentric, and um, the first one was in Mallorca, and that was quite a team building event. I can tell you that because we had the craziest weather. We had rain. We had crazy high waves like you couldn't see the horizon anymore so if, if you say it it doesn't sound a lot maybe we had around two meter two and a half meter high waves right but if you imagine that two and a half meters is from the bottom to the top of that wave that's quite a lot like your right. regular room height is two and a half meters so the company wasn't big back then yet we only had i think four boats and I think a lot of guys that joined that sailing trip, they were really happy when we got back to land. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the novices. Like, yeah, sailing Mallorca, this sounds great. Catamarans, yeah. <laughs> you know. But in Croatia, that was the most recent trip, right? Yeah. You just went there this last year. Uh, beginning of the year, we said, okay, let's just do this. Let's let's get out of here. We all need a week of vacation because we've been at home for the whole time. And it was possible at that moment um, because we we got tested. You know, we, we each mm-hmm. got a PCR test. We each got a quick test. We we got down there to Croatia. You basically just stayed on the boat with the people you got tested with, right? So it's it's quite good. Yeah, just to be sure. But that was the trip where you actually got certified now. You're, you're a, Correct. a licensed. Correct. I'm, I'm a Croatian licensed <laughs> skipper. Uh, probably one of the most interesting pieces according to Croatian law. I'm allowed to marry people on a boat now. So. Wow. Wow. So maritime <laughs> yeah. law. So if you're, if yeah. you're an experienced sailor in Croatia, you can also be a, uh, a priest, apparently. <laughs> well, o- only if you have the Croatian uh, sailing uh, license, right? So you have to be basically in their system and then you, you have to do paperwork and yeah, but you can do it. Yeah. Well, ordained for the day and being able to marry people. I'll keep that in mind for the exactly. next time my friends ask me to get married in, uh, in yeah. Croatia. I say, I got a guy. He, he can yeah. marry you, no problem. Yeah. Uh, as long as it's on the high seas in between yeah. Italy and Croatia. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a bad skill set. That's definitely one for the, the CV. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's, let's bring it back a bit to, to careers and, and life and et cetera. What, what is it like? I mean, you've been, you've been there since, since the, almost the very beginning. So um, <clears throat> what, what's life like at Netcentric? It's awesome, to be honest. Like, for, for me, I, I worked in a couple of corporate companies before, right? So back then, Sun Microsystems, Oracle, I used to work at Siemens. I also used to work at smaller, like, SMBs, um, manufacturing circuit boards and stuff like this. And also in consulting, right? So it's been a crazy nine years. I could not imagine working for a different company, right? Because... Uh, through the way we have basically built up the company using holacracy, there's there's no limit. Like the only limit is you. So if you have an idea, you want to push that idea, or you see a problem um, and you come up with a solution already. I mean, you know, we can just fix it. We we make it work, and that's just been a blast. Also for me, being able to grow into whatever direction you kind of want to go. Um, if you would say, okay, I've, I've had now many years of doing, I don't know, software development, and I want to really excel uh, in, in project management, you know, there's possibilities to do this. And this is really the cool thing. Now, now maybe, um, you know, I think being there for so long and, and that, that idea of a holacracy or, or a holocratic organization i guess it would be i mean what is that concept what does that mean to you uh on on one hand um the ability to act right so i don't have to go to my manager and say can you do this for me you know i bring it up i could do it for myself um and that's the self-driven approach that's what it really means yeah and i'm a big fan of automating stuff like i don't want to I don't want a metric usually which I have to update manually and look at all the data and stuff like this. For me, we have a link to a sheet, to a database. We basically see that numerical information, that KPI directly where we say, okay, for example, um, you could say, you know, how many engagements uh, do we have which are, are running good? 
you know, from a perspective, like from, from a financial perspective, right? And that that's one of the metrics you could then have, um, or one of the metrics could be about showing all the projects which are not running so well from a financial perspective. And with that, you always have quite a transparent view on the overall company. Everyone can look at the metrics. So I can go into the the GCC, which is like uh, the most upper circle, um, and I can look at their metrics. Or I could go to talent management and see, you know, how many guys are we going to be hiring in the next couple of weeks or months? Yeah, so I mean, it, lets you, it gives you full visibility across the organization. Yeah. Yeah. So in this um, in this kind of sphere, this this choose your own adventure uh, approach within the the um, the holocratic or holacracy system, um, tell me about your career progression with Netcentric. How did you arrive to your current role? So so I um, so I, I I went through a couple of steps, right? Because um, from from getting out of high school, studying, uh, I was first thinking about going into like computer graphics and robotics. Uh, then my studies in Germany didn't work out too well how they how they should have uh, in informatics and software engineering. And I went to work um, for small electronic companies building circuit boards, and that all that all actually in the end. Um, helped me grow, right? So even though I went through so many steps um, and later on also uh, studying and doing my master's, all those steps helped me grow into where um, I'm currently at. And um, looking back in the in the beginning of NetCentric, right, when we were only two people, we, we couldn't imagine back then, you know, how big it would be. I couldn't imagine back then uh, being a community of a hundred people and, you know, having to take care of, uh, 10 to 20 plus support and operations engagements. And it's a lot of dedication, I think. So you always have to push because even though we have our PSLs, which will support you on that way, it's, it's the self-driven thing again, right? So I started off as a system engineer. We started building up some projects uh we got first requests um to build up support and operations and i had some great mentors there along the way hansjörg being one of them and don basically being the other um hansjörg said okay we need to build up this support and operations i was like i was all for it because i saw the opportunities already back then at daimler and um after a while you start building up this uh comfort zone of not knowing the details, but knowing enough to talk about it and provide confidence to the customer. I went from from being the community lead link uh, for our agile operations and system engineering community, basically gradually then over to to uh, the current position I'm on, leading the support and operations teams from also a delivery perspective. Right. Nice. Now, I mean, through this rapid growth of, of the this this last you know eight nine years um what have you learned or how have you managed to to keep a work-life balance um yeah diff- difficult one right so uh, work-life balance is probably the most important thing um in our business to keep us sane like if we don't have a good work-life balance it's gonna bite you at a, at a certain point um 
this happened for me actually back in 2016 um, and maybe even a year before that already once I noticed you know if you're on vacation I always have my company phone with me back then um, and even also a laptop and I, I noticed you know uh, you're sitting on the poolside and you're working and you're taking calls and you have to take care of a critical situation uh, maybe delivery isn't working as it should maybe you have a deadline um, to achieve and and that was such a case um, where we had to we had to fix something right and I felt the need for me getting involved and, and kind of fixing it and supporting it and um, that killed a couple of days of the vacation and at that moment I said to myself okay this has to change from a work-life balance perspective. You have to make some kind of cut. So I found a way. Um, I'm always available. Uh, everyone can call me, uh, but they need to call my mobile phone, right? So if no one calls my mobile phone, I'm on vacation and I don't have, maybe there's a specific call I need to take or aligned on before. Sure, I'll take that call. But unless they don't call me, I, I don't worry anymore and I completely trust the team and also, you know, give them some kind of assurance. If something really goes crazy bad, you know, they have the option to, to at least reach you. You know, that's, that's the important thing. You have to find that balance there. Definitely. Um, so, so given, uh, given that centric structure, how did the, the company, the organization handle the, the COVID pandemic? Yeah, COVID pandemic was actually, I, I think it was handled perfectly. I'm sure here and there, there were some people who were really struggling in the beginning with the overall situation, but we have always been able to work remotely. So for me, also traveling a lot for the company was never, never a blocker being able to work. And that allowed us actually to basically... Uh, be online operational as we were before from day one, right? And nothing actually changed from that perspective. And that was really amazing. The communication was handled quite good. And um, I also have to say, I'm, I'm glad, you know, offices started opening up again. I was in Munich, for example, in the office yesterday, and it's just a different style of work. You know, I mean, Sitting at home, you get out of bed, you hop in the shower, you make a coffee, you go in front of your laptop. Then at night, you go out, you have dinner and that's it. You don't have this disconnect, you know. So working continuously from home, you need to look out even more for your work-life balance because you need to make that clean cut. If you go to the office, you leave the office, you get on your bike, you get in your car, you get on the train, you know, you're already kind of disconnecting in that time. And let's see how it continues. I, I have my hopes up high, but I think overall um, everyone is looking forward after being at home for a year during COVID times. But I think we're well prepared from a company perspective. Let's say keeping up the team spirit across the year through also some activities. Like usually you would maybe have a team event uh, doing like an escape room or something. That interaction was, was not dropped. It was just online. Right. 
Right. No, it sounds like NetCentric was uniquely suited to to absorb that the impact of the pandemic because you guys were remote friendly or even remote first already. You know, you guys are yeah. you guys are you know international. You you're, you're very um, you're able to use technology to 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 be remote uh, and still be very productive. Um, from a client perspective, how do you think the post COVID world will be different than than before the pandemic? It's going to change a bit, right? So I. Th- I think also our customers appreciated a lot that we were able to operate online remotely straight away because some of them were were impacted differently. Um, and I think for some of them, it still takes a bit of time, right? Because depending on what industry you're in, uh, the projects aren't going to pick up as they were probably before. Uh, maybe it's going to be a bit different. Maybe it's going to be a bit delayed. Sure, we had a lot of clients even during COVID time, which were new to us, which we've never met in person, which we whom we did projects for. But it's different, you know, you meet them maybe for kickoff, you go out for dinner, you grab a couple of drinks, uh, you also talk about non work related stuff. So you build a completely different personal relationship. And I have my hopes up high, I really believe that this is also going to exist in the future. It's not going to be crazy traveling like it was before, right? I think that's that's definitely going to be less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So if you had to uh, to give some advice to somebody who was just joining NetCentric now, let's say their first day is tomorrow, what would you say to that person? Be open. Be open to everything. Uh, don't, don't be afraid of change. Um, I think that's the biggest fear people have, right? Change. Because something changes, you don't know what changes um, for good, for the good, for the bad. Sometimes we don't even know this, right? Because in our organizational system with Holacracy, we try out things. Um, sometimes we can predict, is it going to be good um, or bad? If it's going to be bad and we predict this, we're probably not going to do it, right? Because it doesn't make sense. So that's the most important thing. If you join NetCentric, be open for change, be open-minded and, um, you know, hop on the ride. It's quite fun. Nice. Okay. And as a, a final question, um, let's looking forward, which technology or innovation are you most excited about in the 21st century and why? I think there's a lot of innovational topics popping up. For me, the most exciting one is really self-driving cars. It, it was, I, I had a short stint at Carnegie Mellon University back in 2005. And we had this big Humvee stuffed full of hardware. Like there were servers from, from the bottom of the trunk to the roof. And we, we were testing this car on a racetrack close to Pittsburgh. And it's crazy for me to see this ev- evolution of self-driving cars because it combines a lot of different technologies, right? So um, you even have some uh, artificial reality maybe in there, virtual reality in that sense. Um, You have, uh, you know, a machine learning in there. You have uh, artificial intelligence in there. And seeing this technology really come together is, is crazy cool. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That, that, that is one of the most disruptive technologies that, that's currently happening as, as we speak. And, and like you said, is taking, um, is taking over. Um, I mean, it has the, has the potential to, to disrupt cities, urban life, rural life. Um, it, it changes the, the, the idea of a vehicle from a, a functional vehicle, you know, getting from point A to point B with the operator making sure you get there 
to an extension of almost your living room, you know, of extension of your house, because yep. then it becomes more about comfort and, and what else can you do while the car is taking you from point A to point B. Uh, but uh, no, very, very interesting, very, very interesting answer coming from you. I would have thought that you, you don't want to lose that, that uh, you know, that that seat behind the wheel, hands on the wheel. Well, and, if you can turn. Uh, <laughs> Petrol engines probably in the form we have today would still continue to be there. So I think you need to find what kind of vehicle do you use for what purpose? Right? And maybe it's not even the car anymore. You know, I mean, there's. There's other crazy ideas, uh, for example, coming from Airbus, where you basically have, you know, airlift systems uh, remotely. And maybe we're going to see this in, in 20, 30 years, you know. Definitely. Definitely. Well, great. I think that's a great place to, uh, to leave it and to wrap up. Uh, I want to thank you, Stefan, for your time. Uh, today, it was great talking to you and learning more about uh, your background, your, your passions, your hobbies, and, and also your career track with NetCentric. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Good times. Nice. Well, uh, join us next month. We'll be sitting down with uh, Ines Akrap talking to uh, women in tech, some of the do's and don'ts that she's discovered as one of the leadership uh, teams over at NetCentric. And that'll do it for today. Thanks so much, Stefan. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks.